Um, yo, so what's up with you? This is the Neil Riggers podcast, episode nine, take two. Yeah, because we did a whole podcast that is unusual. Uh, you know what? I was thinking about it because I was, uh, I want to do auditions for co hosts, and I feel like Cairo would actually be kind of lit as a co host. It would be dope. If this was a kid, if it was a kid podcast, it would, it would be winning. But like, also even, even for like ours, like if we get off track, he just starts screaming, and we're like, okay, no, that that doesn't work for you, that material. We're just, we're gonna scrap that one. We're gonna put that in the slush pile <laughs> because he's just, he's like his takes are mad honest. He's like, oh yeah, dad, whatever you're doing, I'm not feeling. It. It's just not hot. Whatever's popping right now is not really hot. <laughs> He's like, you got any baby shark jokes? <laughs> uh, what you know about baby shark? How you, how are you guys on poop jokes? Are you doing poop now? Uh, he he throws them he throws them out. He was throwing them out there for a good minute. I was I was ducking them because I don't want to give poop jokes too much attention too quickly. Well, he's caught me a couple of times. There was a t- time or two where I couldn't fake. I couldn't fake it like that poop joke wasn't funny to me. <laughs> oh man, that's a chip off the old block. A turn off the old block. For sure. Yes, yes. I can't. I wish I could remember. I wish I could remember what it was because he he really caught me one time. Like, oh, okay, that's an official poop joke, and I can't pretend that putting poop in this context does not make me laugh. It definitely does. <laughs> I, would been, I would have been like, "Where's my notepad when I need it?" Jot <laughs> this one down. Um, so, uh, what's goody? How you been? What's what's good in the world? I uh, just having a real existential crisis about my identity, not feeling myself heavily whatsoever, and having one of the more embarrassing things that's happened to me happen. And I, I know I almost I can't say that, and then it's like it's literally not appropriate to talk about on the podcast. Like, let, let's just say that your your article that you wrote, it's like I'm 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 trying to dive into those waters, and when I'm 36 years old. Yeah, no, I'm. Um, here's a fun thing about writing that article, and I agree, none of this is appropriate. Um, <laughs> the fun thing about writing that article is when. Um, it goes viral, so to speak. And mm-hmm. then uh, people start hitting you up, and like the first thing they hit you up is like, hey, man, I really loved your, your work. In 1989, I was raped. And I'm like, oh, shit. Like, that is, oh, wow. Like, and you know, there's no, there's no uh, rejecting response I want to give to that. Like, people who survive that uh, sexual abuse, sexual encounters that are inappropriate. People who survive that, I have the utmost respect and compassion for, and I'm not trying to, uh, you know, deflect from their experience, and I'm not trying to uh, make them feel bad just in the moment. And you already know me how I am as a person. Like I'm not, I'm not going to try to make someone feel bad in that moment or generally. You know what I'm saying? Um, but I'm just like, this is a lot. You know what I mean? Like it because it's not. Uh, it's weird to like choose to be the profession that I've chosen and still never be ready for it. Like never be ready yeah. for any of the consequences of it. And that's like, that's squarely the position I'm in right now. Like just completely unprepared for any of that shit. Well, lucky that's not the aspect of it that, um, that in particular is the experience that I'm talking about. I'm talking more about like, being out here trying to be, trying to be a scene, still trying to be all up in the scene with limp noodles. This is this is actually an ideal time for you to start doing that right now. Exactly, it's like dog. That's why it's like it's just there is no, there is no, whatever, man. Like there's dude, no opening. There's no opening. You, well, it's like the. There's no space to sympathize with my character, and I say that it kind of doesn't matter because you still can. Like I could tell the story; it would be very uh, entertaining to you. I really, legitimately don't think we'd be able to use it. Um, no, I mean, you know, if, if it's not something you uh, will enjoy the story, you know what I mean? Like, so, 
could always. What you say? It's not something we can use. We'll enjoy the story, so we can always tell it to each other off air. You know. Exactly. Exactly. Um, and like, trust me, there are definitely some off air stories I have to catch you up on. Uh, in the yeah. world of like uh, being being a thirty five year old boy. Exactly. It, here we go. So and so the point is that while I don't know, maybe we maybe we should just do. It. But no, I I want to have an episode we can use. I don't want to have another episode we can't use, even if this one is good. But we can't use it. If we can't use it, we can't use it. It's all the same. Like and like making the editing more difficult. Anyway, you asked the um, you asked the. And a question that has a very specific answer at this moment in my life. Um, and so I answered it honestly, but maybe let's just keep it to what's happening in Nicki Minaj's life right now. <laughs> well, okay. <laughs> here's, um, here's a couple things. So uh, relevant that you brought up what we can or cannot bring up on the podcast because, you know, I was also wondering should I talk about this article? Should I talk about the fact that, like, you know, somebody from my past tried to drag me about it um, and what the, what the implications awesome. are? And I'm, 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 I'm pretty open to that. I think the main thing I wanted to talk about was, like, um, Facebook, like, the culture of, like, Facebook and social media the Kevin Hart thing, um, in the context of that, but then also um, Cardi B and Offset's breakup in the context of that, in the context of like how we are performing our lives on social media, myself included. Um, so there'll be a couple headlines. I'm going to throw out just a little bit of backstory for the listeners. And yo, what up? This is the Neil Riggs Podcast. I'm Drew Brees. I'm on there. And uh, we took a little station break for the holidays, but we're back and we're going to kick this out um, a little bit before the new year. Uh, so here's the context Facebook has been in kind of like hot water generally because of um, selling data to, uh, to a company called Cambridge Analytica um, and potentially like interfering with the fairness of the United States elections as well as also, like, creating a vast monopoly on advertising, on digital advertising in the U.S., using people's personal information and, like, how they browse and, like, what they do. Now, if you do shit like I do or, like, Onward does, you kind of know that shit. You kind of been through that shit, that that's what Facebook does. Like, that's their business model. Like, that is how they make money is you go on there, you do a bunch of super personal shit, and they're like, oh, you this type of nigga? Okay, I got that for you. And it's basically like bringing products to your door by advertising them very directly through Target, right? Um, but the other maybe um, unintended effect of Facebook is that uh, because it has all this data and all these data points about you and various emotional states that you're in when you buy things and when you click on things, um, it's become a central place along with other social media for people to uh, either advertise and like, pop off whoever they are or, or just like display what their lives are to others in their immediate peer group. Um, that means it's changed the culture of celebrity. There are people who are social media famous. That means that uh, it's changed the culture of privacy and secrecy. So it's like even if you thought that you could do something privately, as soon as social media entered the realm of like history and society, it was like, oh, actually, if anyone else was there, it's not private. You know, somebody could pull out their phone and record you. They could pull out their phone and record you, or they could uh, just tell the social media world that, oh, I was there, and here's my version of it. I don't think that happened. Or in the case of Kevin Hart, for example, some things that you said on social media uh, would be brought up again in your in your present day. Um, so I think that's led to a couple of things. Like I think it's, it's democratized information temporarily to monopolize information permanently. 
Um, and I want yeah. to ask you in particular, my dude, what was your, if you have any response, what was your response to the Kevin Hart thing? Well, because I'm me, I've only heard about this peripherally. So I don't know what he said. I know he said uh, homophobic and transphobic things on his Twitter in the past. And that that's the reason that he's not hosting the Oscars. Or more specifically, that when he got called out on that, he he let out a... he released a statement that what's what do you is there a word for the opposite of ingratiate <laughs> because that's what he did to the communities he's he had offended with his statement now i don't know what his i know a little first bit place, and i don't know what his statement is because I, I don't care um and it's kind of and i'll just drop okay. this in and you can continue but it's basically like Somebody was trolling him on Twitter. And, like, early Twitter was just, like, it was crazy. It was a crazy place. But the way that he was well, getting back at this random troll was to use the F word a bunch of times in every tweet back to that person. So it was like, you're an F word. Oh, you look like an F word poster for F words. And I'm like, okay. It's weird because... Kevin Hart is so dope at roasting, and he was like, nah, I'm just going to hurl slurs at you. Yeah, but that time that, who is he with? Is it is he with Jamie Foxx? He's good at it, but he's not, I can see him, like, you know, all right, this is a weird analogy, but after the first time the Heat won a championship together, like, as as the heatles, I was I was like obsessed at that time, and so I couldn't go to sleep that night. And I'm like, oh man, I got I'm I'm riding high. So at some point, Dwayne Wade had gone out to like dinner somewhere, and he live casted it. And when he did, and I was watching it, it was just him and his homeboy at a restaurant, and I remember thinking. When I listened to him, it's like, wow, you sound a lot more country than you do to me in a TV interview. And I know he's not country. He's from Chicago. But it's just like, the point is that he he seemed different to me when I just saw him being who he is with, with, like, no preparations. And I mean, I guess there's some preparation. He knew he was important. It was just different. And so catching... Kevin Hart in that moment of that interview being more just not prepared, I definitely see that. Like, even he's gonna, like, he's the kid who still won all the roast battle, all the battles in the schoolyard of elementary school, but it was sometimes just performative. He wasn't really saying shit that was funny. Like, he wasn't, he's not always super quick, actually. But he's always, um, he just expresses the average thing well. Like that's actually why he's successful now. He is, some of the things he says are like particularly entertaining, but a lot of them are just a regular thing you've heard. Yeah, I agree. He just that. performs it well. I agree with that assessment. I mean, I think, in fact, most of our, I mean, with the exception of Chappelle, with Dave Chappelle, I think most of our like high level comedians are um they're great they have great work ethic and they drive to get to the top, but they're not always the best comic mind. I think like a lot of times the best comic minds, they don't have that what I was calling that Jordan factor where they're like, I, I need to be at the top. Whereas Kevin Hart has always had that. Um and so he can take uh, like whatever mediocre crop of jokes he's been working for that year and get the most exposure from those jokes. You know? And it's not to say that he's not funny. I think he does have like a lot of funny qualities. He is a funny comic and he's a funny performer. I think that's a really important distinction to make when you're talking about, um, especially like the black oral tradition. Stand-up comics fit a lot into the black oral tradition and he's excellent at being, you know, what we would call like a jester or like a clown. He does great physical comedy. Um, and he backs up 
what cleverness he has with like confident performance. Um, so yep. continue again about like you know what you felt about his comments. Um. Well, the the not the well, which one uh, the that, one he just like, recently you know, made. He on Instagram and he was like, you know, so basically like, um, you know, if this is what you, you guys want, I'm not going to be, I'm not going to do this. So okay, so see, and I also haven't actually seen that. Like, I know it happened, but I don't uh, know what he specifically said. He says, uh, "I apologize for these comments." Um, I'm accounting for these comments, and um, uh, if what is needed is for me to do, like, I guess what he what he felt like was like a song and dance apology again, then he was he was like, I'll pass on this particular opportunity because I don't feel as if I should have to. Um, and then a lot of people kind of dug into it, and it wasn't that he did what we consider an apology it's like um if someone did something to you and you and, and you asked for an apology and that person was like oh you're hurt by this okay you know i guess i'm sorry well hold on but it it's it, it is like that unless we can also point to the time that he actually did apologize because what he's saying is that I've apologized for this already. And if that if that's true and there is a time that we can refer to of a genuine apology. Yeah, I wanted to be fair now I'll say that at the comment that he made. And there was not anything I would call a genuine apology, and we can go. You can go into what what you find to be a genuine apology, and I'll talk about what I find to be a genuine apology. So, and I, I only bring it up to say that I think it's whether we like it or not, it's entirely valid, and I think it would be it would be uh, a mistake if this punishment came on the outset of this just being the time that's more known that he gets caught saying this because okay it's like it's like if you're in a if you're in a relationship with somebody and you do something that they do not appreciate and they make that known to you and you sincerely apologize to them at that time and they appear to accept your apology at that time and they continue to engage in the relationship unchanged with you at that point. And then something later triggers that same uh, experience uh, to be relevant in your relationship. Now, it is entirely valid for you to feel like, okay, you know what? I'll, I'll apologize for this again. I have no problem with that. But I think it's also valid to feel like, I have apologized to you for this, and I have apologized sincerely. What I can't sincerely do is apologize every time this thing re-triggers you, because that isn't um, genuine to me. It's not genuine to me to perform. It it would literally be me now performing, saying I'm sorry again. Now, that does say something about your level of compassion that you can't or are unwilling to continue to acknowledge the hurt that that caused. But I think, but again, I also think it's valid because a person can also, in a relationship, hold you hostage by something you've done while continuing to willingly engage in a relationship. What you're saying... from the perspective of the person who has done the wrong is understandable, right? Like, I I think it's understandable as a logic, as a rubric. I think what I'm saying, well, there there are two two issues I take with the analogy here. Because I think um, 
Off GP, I understand the community that the relationship between an apology and an offense um, is typically a closed loop, right? Like something bad happens to a person who was hurt, and the person who hurt them takes account by saying, I apologize. Now, I want to get more into this idea of taking account because one of the issues that I had with uh, this analogy and, and just the Kevin Hart situation in general is that what he apologizes for, right, is an offense in a, a broad way because he's speaking to a really large group of people. He's speaking to a group and not it's not a one-to-one thing like in a relationship like you, you do an offense, you, you commit an offense to someone and you and that person have to then decide what the punishment is between you and that person, right? Or what the atonement could be between you and that person. And that is a lot different of a situation than when you um, offend a whole group and different people's hurts and offense levels are, are different, right? And that's not to say that one man could account for that I don't think it's possible to account completely for that, but I think what is what is part of the account, and we talked about this in the Louis C.K. episode, what is part of the accounting is finding out, right? Like doing the exploration of what the offense was and like the depth of the offense so that you can begin to account for things you didn't realize or see when you committed the offense, right? So like there could be times where you're like, yo, my bad, I didn't mean to cut you in line. I kind of thought the line started here. And that's a different kind of offense. Like, let's say a group of people is behind you and you just legitimately were oblivious to the fact that the line started somewhere and you walked in and cut the line. And then everybody behind you is like, hey, what the fuck? Hey, man, come on. Come on. Like, they're, they're, they're screaming at you, but you, you turn around to them and in your apology, you admit your obtuseness. You say, oh, my bad. I was unaware. Right. And that your lack of awareness plays into how you apologize. Right. Like it plays into that, especially um, in comparison to somebody who's just an asshole. He's like his three piece suit Armani guy comes in with a briefcase and he cuts the line on purpose. And if that guy turns around after everyone goes, hey, 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 he's like, OK, whatever. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Those are two different apologies. You know what I mean? And so what I think Kevin Hart did here is a kind of combination of the first and the second, where he's like, um, he he maybe says, okay, I've been made aware of the fact that people are offended. Whether or not I care is another issue. He never really, he never says that he cares, and I can't expect him to care. I'm not going to expect someone to shift their, like, political beliefs and value system to mean I care now about a group who I felt uh, disregard for before. I don't. I don't expect that of him. Um, but I think the second sort of statement about it is sort of like the guy with the briefcase and the three-piece suit who cuts the line on purpose because he's like, "Hey, hey, don't you know I didn't give a fuck about this in the first place?" <laughs> he's like, "I'm famous now, so if you want to like start holding me to account for other shit." And it's a little bit like it give me a little bit of a Brett Kavanaugh feeling, as in if if you are indignant when people mm-hmm. hold you to account, right? I think it makes it a much more difficult argument if you want, and not to say Kevin Hart wants that, but if any person wants any sympathy or any apology or any hurt or offense, um, it makes it just more difficult to deliver that to you or to be reciprocal in that way. And I think with Kevin Hart, um, I think the one thing that I may have wanted for him to do, and this is from my bias, from the way that I'm learning to account and atone, which is to say, you know what? Um, that thing I said was actually really ignorant and hurtful. Um, and I was at a point in my life where I was really unaware of ignorant and hurtful things that I was doing. And now I see how malicious it is. Um, you know what I think might work is like, uh, go check out this trans comedian. She's really funny. Or um, I've been talking with a group of people from the LGBTQ community who are also like really dope comedians. And 
they put me on to like some of the shit that I was saying and how obtuse it is and what it does to like neglect a whole other group of people. But what's been happening instead, and which has been like kind of typical and pretty predictable, is like black male comedians making it their point to set themselves apart from the queer community as if those communities don't have overlap. You feel? And I think that, yeah, we go DL here. Right. We, we go DL here. <laughs> whatever you do, don't we DL, go DL here. We go, In um, any situation Dana in your life. Cosby. Remember that whole, like, and, and we, it's like we default to yeah, that. It's, yeah, it's right? an unfortunate moment. There's there's a lot of opportunity to, to be funny in, in new ways. And what I'm scared about is that there with these new ways to be funny and with all these like really big groups to address, because like I agree with the sort of like, oh man, like do I have to fucking please everybody? I'm a comedian. It's like you're a comedian. You know what I mean? Like you're engaging with the public sentiment. And no, you it's don't have to please. You kind of do. It's, like it's also kind of, yeah, no, yeah, you kind of do. That's, and like, that's if the, you're you have to work the room, whatever that room. If it is contingent upon in that room disregarding a group of people who's kind of there for you, you know what I'm saying? Like, because they're, I think to assume that the queer and trans uh, folks that have enjoyed Kevin Hart through their lives, to assume that that's a small group, I think is very foolhardy. You know what I mean? Like, when you're as big as he is, there are some little fucking queer teenage kids who saw fucking whatever movie you and The Rock did this year. You know what I mean? Like, they they saw that shit. There, were, there, are, there are some lesbian comedian who's like, Working material that is inspired by some fucking shit, some deaf comedy shit you do. Like, you can't disregard that there are people who are like, oh man, I love the physical comedy he's done. I love the, the kind of jokes that he does about being short and self deprecating. Like, I think I can work that into my routine. And, and, and those people are LGBTQ. And it's like, if, if he is, um, going to close his eyes to that, so early in his adult life, I don't think that it's going to be possible for him to engage in the comedic space for very long. That's that's kind of my take. On it. I th- I think that that's really valid. I think that well beyond. I think that's true. But it's interesting to me that as you were saying it, there was that moment right there where you you, you were just like L- LGBT, and it's, it's like. Yo, the, the amount of things that we have to readjust our perspective on is so large that a lot of comedians are failing. And I say, I, 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 I get that from the perspective particularly of uh, the black comedian and as a black man, I'll say as the as a black male comedian, because, but I don't say that as a sympathizing because we pushed open boundaries. We were like, nope, you got to change the landscape to to make way for our experience now. And now a part of the way we did that is by just being straight up and down better, not by telling you about how we felt about what you said. Nope, just by like kicking wide open the door of your own perception and how it's affected us and still, uh, but being entertaining about it, like adhering to the rules. Now, these other, these people who have a problem with with Karen Harder, they're not entertainers necessarily. So I'm not saying that they're they're beholden to having to, to that. But I'm saying that I can see now, even though I've, I've always thought D.L. Hughley was way too, yes. um, his thinking is small. He approaches everything in a small way. But I can see how after 
the years, the decades of work that his life has been to ex- to have to have a space expanded to exist in through his own work and through other people's work, that there was no space for you and people were saying shit that offended you all the time and you just go, okay, okay, cool, that's what you think. I'm going to eat that and then I'll make you regret that when it's my shot. Um, to now have things have changed so much that like because of what you say on social media, I've I've got to be like I've got, I hold on I gotta start doing re- research on asexual people, like oh I don't know if I don't know if I'm built for that I don't know and and now it's not like the the world's not gonna change for them the world's not gonna change and slow down for DL Hughley to first want to care about asexual people and then to do the work of caring about asexual people. And then we'll give you another shot at doing some jokes that show us that you have learned. Like, all that is a bit more than what the process will be like. But I get why it's disorienting. I truly do. And I get why you would, why sometimes Kevin Hart's going to go, look, man, in that situation, I said sorry to that dude, okay? I realized that it was stupid. And now a million of you found out about it. And you want me to be sorry in a new way. And I'm, uh, what? I, uh, I'm just out here being me. I'm not perfect, but I said sorry for the thing I did. And, and, and it's almost, it's also like being sorry for things I did and being, and changing my perspectives on those things aren't one and the same those processes aren't the same i can say sorry to the guy you know seven years ago and then it was actually only three years ago that i met this comedian who's a lesbian woman and we became really good friends and i learned all these and it's like but well, in these moments we link all these things where it's like you had you well, did the offense then it's almost like where's your home you do your homework we gave you homework on how to be right and this, and this is my perspective on it, but I think comedy is a lot about discomfort, right? Like, it's a lot about the kind of tension that it takes to make people laugh, which means that it often deals in taboo subjects, but also in an enlightening way. So it's, uh, it takes the taboo subject and lays out the truth of that subject, even when people aren't speaking that truth. Right? Like, that's one of the things that makes uh, Dick Gregory really funny. That's what makes a lot of comedians funny, is that there's this thing, there's this truth we all know, and we call it the elephant in the room. And there's this truth we all know, but we're all kind of silently endorsing it, despite the fact that it might not be the best truth that we can produce for everyone in the room. Like, it's, it's this thing that, that shows you, like, wait, but is this thing that's in the room that no one's talking about good? Or is it just a thing that's here? And comedians are like, motherfucker, not only is it not good, it's very much here, and ignoring it is absurd, so I'm going to talk about it. And the reason why I bring up the idea of discomfort is because comedians, mm-hmm. as they work material, they work in discomfort. They, they uh, always are finding ways to approach discomfort and even kind of conquer areas of discomfort to get to areas of understanding. Now there's a spectrum of that, right? So there's going to be a spectrum of comedians who are like, I'm going for every single bit of discomfort that is possible, especially where it comes to like social statuses and social roles. And then there are comedians who are like, I'm only going to talk about the discomfort that's pertinent to my social role and my social status. And both of those are valid because they're real. That that's what exists and operates in the world. I tend to feel toward the people who are going into lots of areas of their discomfort, even though, um, you know, discomfort is one of those things that it pushes us forward when we're unwilling. 
like it, it, it nudges us. It either, it either keeps us in a fear space or it nudges us forward. Like, well, I'm uncomfortable, but... And I think one of the things that you're speaking from the perspective of is, again, as like the person who... And I, 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 I like that you're bringing this perspective, but it's as the person who is apologizing, right? It's as the person who has been disoriented by the offense that they've created. And one of the ways I'm trying to orient myself, even though you're right, there, there is a lot of like discomfort I have to find in this process, but the way I'm trying to orient myself in, in some of these situations, if not all of these situations, is like, wait, but if I'm on the other side of this, if I'm the sensitive one or the hurt one or the victim or the survivor, what do I want and what do I require of someone who has done an offense to me? And how does it look when that person truly atones for doing the hurtful thing versus a person saying to me, well, you know, it's uncomfortable to have to confront this hurt of yours. Mm -hmm. I don't want to confront that. And I'm saying on the other side, well, like, yeah, I know that's uncomfortable. You cause a lot of people discomfort by sort of blanketly saying, like, if my son were gay, you know, I would be unaccepting of that. A lot of people who, who grew up gay are like, hey, that's the reason my parents kicked me out. It's because of attitudes like that. And you're right to say that he is not their parents, right? But he is that trigger. That's the, the, the word you mentioned. He is that trigger. And I think it's because we reinforce these ideas that create the elephant in the room. And so when people start pointing out the elephant, I think a lot of times motherfuckers shrink because it's like, I don't really want to confront the elephant because it's not, as you sometimes said in our history, it's not convenient for me. It doesn't feel good and it's not convenient. And I think what... You know, with great power definitely comes great responsibility. And sometimes, more specifically, it comes with unimaginable responsibility, right? Like it comes with responsibility that you didn't even think you would have to account for. And uh, I think the, the thing about social media that why I said it uh, democratized, uh, it democratized uh, information while monopolizing it is that now we have a situation where we have a society in which punishment is extreme in general. Like, we haven't, on a state level or on a civil level, even created a lot of fair punishment. <laughs> like, we just haven't. And so now when things get to the, the public, who's been conditioned by, like, basically a, a, a very imbalanced system of justice, all we have in the court of public opinion is a really strong reaction. We have like this cancer culture, right? Where either someone is atoning basically for the rest of their lives, or that's what it seems folks want people who committed offenses to do, or um, they refuse. They refuse and they say, I don't, I don't want, if it's, the, if it's a slippery slope, I'm not getting on it. I'm not going to keep apologizing. Because we haven't created, and I'm talking about this with one of our other good friends, we haven't created mm -hmm. uh, a step-by-step -step atonement uh, process, right? Like, we haven't even, in our society, decided how atonement works when it's not a straight-up crime, right? And even when it is a crime, that process is, is very iffy. So, it's like, do we even have an accountable society do I hold only Kevin Hart to account for this? No, I don't only hold Kevin Hart or only hold Louis C.K. or only hold Damon Wayans or only hold D.L. Hughley to account. That, I agree with many people, is unfair. It would be unfair to only hold certain, certain groups to account for the fact that we do not have an atonement process. Um, but I also understand that we have to reimagine our responsibilities, especially as public speakers, public figures, and people who are going to use these experiences, uh, like I was talking about earlier in the podcast, and I'm going to write about it now? Oh, if I'm going to write about it, oh, here's going to be people in my inbox that I didn't even fucking expect. You know what I mean? Like, I didn't even expect that, and that is the God's honest and pure truth. Or here's going to be the text message in my, in, in, my, uh, in my iMessage, like, oh, yeah, but remember that person you heard before? 
now they saying something. You know what I'm saying? So it's like, but you, you feel me though? You feel me? Of course. And okay, and here's what I'm referring. What I'm and what what I'm referring to specifically is like even with the like LBGTQ, right? We say we say that as if there is a way to atone or account for how you've offended the LGBTQ community, and to a certain extent there is. But even that is flawed. The reality is I can't account for the way that if I what I said offended lesbian people and trans people the same it's not the same their experiences aren't the same and so so the elephant there is not an elephant in the room there's mad elephants in the room there's mad different elephants in the room and some of the elephants have agreed to uh to be referred to together in some ways and then there's other ways that they have they're they're separate and so if we're talking about okay it's interesting that you brought up the the whole there's a difference between apologizing and accounting for something and which which is the challenge because when these situations occur what generally the communities that are offended are are, are asking for is accountability. And so when Kevin Hart says something like, I apologize for this already, it misses the actual point that one, I don't know whether you did or not, but whether you did or not, apologizing doesn't doesn't satisfy the the actual emotional impulse here. In order for the people you've offended to feel satisfied, they need to know that you're accountable for what you did. And his response doesn't doesn't belie any faith in that. Like, oh, he is he is willing to be held to account for this um, throughout his life until it's not something that somebody care, cares to refer to when they're speaking about him. Um, and so that's more specifically what I was talking about. Where I'm not saying I'm not uh, my only my only point in identifying with DL Hughley is 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 to say I understand being overwhelmed by the amount of things to have to account for publicly. And and the reason I say that is while being a comedian is dealing in uncomfortable uncomfortable truths comedians pretend to be doing that stuff on the fly they pretend to be doing it naturally but the reality is for every comedian i know making the admission addressing that identifying that elephant in the room publicly has come with a lot of work a lot of private time to analyze, observe, and to experience very uncomfortable feelings that when accepted and properly integrated into their psyche, they can make light of for the entertainment of other people. But, and this process, and so going back to that process, having a process of accountability, if our process of accountability happens through Twitter, it's not a very, uh, like, even as a person who deals in the trade of uncomfortable truths, the speed at which I, you go from finding out Kevin Hart is hosting the Oscars to people referring to the tweets he made that are offensive to now, and now this is on him, but I think he did, I think it's, it's almost like, how much time did we give Drake? to say something about what Pusha T said. It's like you do, if you don't say anything, that's not dealing with the situation either. But the amount of time it takes to actually emotionally integrate being truly accountable for saying offensive things about people is not the amount of time that Twitter gives you. 
um, it, it to me also it gets down to the comfort of the comfort of a person when they're being pushed beyond their limits. It's like I, as a human and an individual, I have compassion for people even who have done offenses. Um, and I try not to extend more compassion to people who have done offenses just because, you know what I mean? Like, I, I, I try to just have, have compassion generally. But I think um, what's happening here is that he doesn't, he's not going to get the, the comfort of, of time. You know what I mean? Like, he's not going to get the, the convenience from the mob, like from the general public at time. And uh, I don't know what to do with that 100%. Like, I don't know what to do with that. I don't know if I can label that as wrong because it's just like we said, it's just the condition of what the world is. So it's either you're, you're a part of that condition or you're not. And um, here's what I want to talk about, about accountability and atonement and public sphere. So Cardi B and Offset broke up, right? Cardi B, Cardi B. <laughs> Listen, that was just a scary reaction to that. I don't know why. That's, that's um, not funny. I mean, but like she posted thing. the video on Instagram and she was like pretty like sober and matter of fact. And she was just like, um, hey, you know, things weren't working out and we're going to separate. And uh, that's. You know, we had we have a child together, and we had a relationship that I appreciate. Um, but it's just it's just clear that we are we are not compatible in certain ways that I need to be compatible. And she was she was for a maybe what is she 25, 24? for a twenty four twenty five year old. She was really reasonable and well thought out, especially given the fact that she's probably had like more of like social media outbursts and he's probably had more social media outbursts that are more typical of a young person in previous times in their relationship, right? So in comparison, this was like, okay, like, it looks like whatever they had ran its course and she has decided, like, this is not for me, right? So after she puts out that video and then it's like TMZ, Twitter, Facebook, everybody, oh, it's a party beat offset, break up. It's on all the headlines, right? Within maybe like uh, like twelve to eighteen hours of her posting that Instagram, Offset from his Instagram writes a simple two-word reply to her post. Y'all won. <laughs> Y'all won. Oh. oh man, you can't you can't sum up male privilege any better. Than reframing that shit that way, bro. <laughs> like I didn't even know what that meant when I first said it. And I was like, "Hold, who's y'all? Who's y'all? Are you talking about That's party and culture? I like who? The episode who beat is Because who, who part, the subtext of this last statement was kind of like, "Okay, y'all won. All right, you don't want me to host? Y'all won." And it's like, yeah, it is frustrating to be in the wrong and also to be called out for being in the wrong. But you were still wrong, dog. Like, it's not, we're not wrong because we said it. You know what I'm saying? I would say, I, I, at my compassion, even for DL Hughley in the situation, and this is not to say I don't have, okay, no. My compassion for those two black men in the situation is because I literally think that those situations are slightly different than offsets, right? Specifically because it's different to if what I said offends you, that is valid. But I literally don't have to apologize for saying anything. And and you feeling a way about what it's the same problem I have with some of the reaction to Kanye as if he is the same as Donald Trump. Nigga, this is shit I am saying. And does that no, does that matter? Does that empower negative 
people to do negative things. Yes, I'm not simplifying it to say that that makes it uh, have no meritable effect in people's lives. But I also think it's our personal responsibility to start acknowledging that yeah, people yeah. who do, who say things that we don't like, it's our, we can hold them accountable to a conversation about that. And that's different than thinking that they're the same as the person who does things because a person who does things that, 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 that don't show you respect, you have to respond to differently. You literally have to defend your physical boundaries. That's entirely different. That's an entirely different situation to have to deal with. And I'll take that back. It's not entirely different because defending your psychological boundaries are also very important. They're just different. They're not, what Offset did was was violate some physical boundaries in people's lives. That it's like, now nah, you don't get to make that about you. If the difference is my internal world inside my head, I don't have to apologize for. I don't have to. It's if you ask me to, and then I look at my world and say, oh, I want to change things about the world I'm creating inside my head. I should. As that's and I personally would, but that's different than no. Your the ideas you have in your head are give are making you believe you have the right to do things. I in hear the that, world and I think um, that you don't have the right you know, to do point, to your them. Your point is heard, and I uh, I think in the case of Offset in particular, um, what he's doing in my view, and as you said, is he's taking the standards from his privilege. He's taking what that culture and those rules have told him and saying, and, and he's, he's also sort of putting it out there. He's like, wait, but like, this is what guys have always done. <laughs> like, he's like, guys have always tried to like arrange three things behind the back of their partner. <laughs> They're like, it's, I think, um, in my view, the reason why the absurdity is similar is because whatever group you were addressing, because, you know, like you said, once you're in conversation, once you're a public figure, the things that you say in public are just as much a part of your profession, right? Like, it's not your thoughts at this point. It's actually the things you said in public. And so if and when you decide to account for those things, it's a, it's a big part of your career. Like it, it's, it's why people have publicists and they do press releases and they plan how they're going to say things to their audience and to their fans because the public interaction is valuable. It's something that gives them value. It's people, it's an agreement between you and the public that, hey, you do something we like and it pleases us. Um, now, if there are some loud voices who don't like it, but also who don't support you, then there's something to be uh, analyzed there in capitalism and saying, well, hey, maybe these people aren't buttering my bread, so so maybe I don't have to apologize to them. I think in Kevin Hart's case, which is kind of, um, this is what makes it pretty unique, is that um, Hollywood is definitely buttering his bread right now. So I found it an odd tactical move from a capitalist standpoint even at baseline, you know what I mean? Um, like, even if we're not talking social justice, compassion, and all that stuff, it's like, damn, bro, like, you don't think gay people buy movie tickets? Like, um, with Offset, I think what he vastly underestimates is how many of his fans right now, in the current moment, are Cardi fans. And how many of those Cardi fans might just dip on him for some dumb shit? Because <laughs> I'm like, the y'all one thing, you know, for real, I'm just like, that is like Kung Fu level deflection. It's like Dragon Balls, it's like Vegeta level deflection from Offset. Yes, it is. It's <laughs> like you know I like I don't have the gall to even understand what he was saying at first 
that's how like like oh wow you got you got you got tiger balls my friend to even to even posit that as a response to this situation my jesus the fact that he could he couldn't just leave it alone if you're gonna say just two words don't say anything but you said just those two words you you were indignant enough to not have much of anything to say and you could be that entitled that with that little effort it's it's <laughs> it's oh man I, 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 i've seen few um, i've seen few with his, with his skill set quite in quite some time um Now I will say what's weird to me. I won't say it's not weird. Um, I'm su- I'm surprised their relationship didn't last longer. I really am, and here's why I'll say this: because I would assume that their relationship doesn't uh, doesn't like configure to any traditional rules, like, and that they would both know that going in, so that certain things wouldn't be an issue that. Yes, from the outside, we're going to assume that that's an issue. From the outside, we're going to assume I, I get that, that and, um, him being you know, with somebody else is an issue. But I, I don't know that she would ever expect him not to be. But that's not... But again, I, point being, so even with those lowered standards... He was, he couldn't keep up to yeah, the the like that's a big if, part of if it. that's acceptable you know, in your relationship and you still it, couldn't keep up whatever whatever the rules are the dude, what are you doing like what and I, I say this from experience any kind of relationship you have there's a way to be out of pocket and there's a way to deceive your partner no matter what kind of relationship you have so if you do something that is deceptive. There's no y'all. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. <laughs> like there's only the individual in that in that scenario. And I'll say this, like, because I've been fortunate in my relationship life in terms of being able to learn from my mistakes and also receiving the karmic return on anything I ever did that was hurtful. Like I think in almost every case or in, in yeah, I've received the karmic return in some form or fashion, or, or I believe I have. Let's, let's say that I believe I've received a karmic return for a lot of my biggest mistakes and malicious acts and spiteful things or hurtful things that I ever did. I've, I've had to feel those too, right? Um, and whether they came in the same form or in a different form is um, not as material as the fact that I had to feel hurt when I gave out hurt. I had to I had to feel the effect of what goes around comes around many times. And there's just no time where being deceived by someone you love feels good. There's no there's no condition. There's no uh, there's no relationship type where it's like oh man I'm fucking Hype you lied to me today. Fuck. That was, yo, good job, baby. You fucking lied. That was a good ass lie. You know what I mean? Like, it never really goes like that. And I think a lot of times people like Offset or men like Offset are looking for the way where that feels good. They're looking for, like, they're doing the acrobatics and the gymnastics for the double standard that makes that lie feel good. And it's like, no, dude, because, like, that shit doesn't feel good. Like, it's just like, I mean, and there's going to be some people who I think on the male side who might be like, oh, well, she was a stripper. So, right. You know what I'm saying? Like, like so, so she's also a liar. <laughs> she's like, she took off her clothes for money, so that makes her a liar. Like, it, there's a lot of, what does that uh, mean? the operation of double standard and, and, and of, uh, male privilege and patriarchy that, that takes place there is one that actually hurts both sides. Like any oppressive system, it hurts both sides. And because it hurts offset to not know how stupid he is. <laughs> like that is a like that is gonna fuck him up 
for a long time until like I was up. You know what I mean? Yo, and we, we're at it. Our co-host is up, and we're at exactly an hour. So we can say what's up to our co-host and, and wrap it up. Yeah. Carol, Carol's up. Our co-host is up. He's a great co-host. Yeah, man, it's good. Good talking with you. And this is Omar. Follow me. Follow me at Omar's Bar Meeks. A N W A R I S B W A M E E. Real Ringers Podcast, y'all. Episode nine. Glad to be with you. Yeah, man. Peace, bro.